0: You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. Thursdays on the Locked On NBA podcast, Jackson Gatlin and Matt Moore are telling you whose NBA stock is up And whose is down? Follow the Locked On NBA podcast today on YouTube or wherever you get podcasts. If I sound a little different today, it's because I'm coming to you from a hotel room live from Springfield, Massachusetts. That's right. Your boy Dave is here to cover the enshrinement of the 2021 Hall of Fame class. One class that actually includes a former Heat player, none other than Heat legend, Chris Bosh himself. And that's the subject of today's podcast, obviously. While I'm here in Springfield, felt like a good time to talk a little bit about Chris's career and everything he's met because I think he might actually be my favorite player of all time, just not because of his impact on the court, but also his humanity off of it, something I'll talk about a little bit later on in the show. I wanted to do a what if. One of the big questions, of course, with Chris's career and the Heat franchise is, What would have happened if he had stayed healthy? And I might do that at some point later on, but it just didn't feel right. We're here in Springfield to celebrate Chris, and I want to take today as an opportunity to do the same. And that's why I wanted to get into, you know, a little bit about my own personal feelings about Chris. You know, I think it's hard to separate my personal perspective when it comes to that because so much of what I really learned about Chris was during the four years that he was with the Big Three in Miami, which is prior to my really covering basketball as a profession or anything like that, almost felt like he came in with very little fanfare, right? It was about re-signing Dwayne. That was our guy. And you wanted to make sure he came back. Of course, Dwayne flirting with the Chicago Bulls, keeping it kind of close to the vest, not really sure exactly what was going to happen with him. And there was the possibility of adding Carlos Boozer or Amar'e Stoudemire or somebody else like that. Then kind of Chris came in, not necessarily the third wheel, but didn't really seem to have as much hype. And then, of course, well, how do you compare with LeBron James, the decision on ESPN, and, of course, the turmoil that followed that? It just wasn't fair because, again, it almost felt like Chris was a throw-in to the whole situation, which is not – he didn't really deserve that. But I think that's part of the story. That's the reality, too, because his career in Toronto was so often overlooked. Of course, there were numerous all-star selections – There was incredible scoring and performances there, but it just felt like he wasn't as vital. But that's patently ridiculous, and that's part of what makes Chris's NBA story and Heat career so special. Because over the next six seasons, I don't think there was another player that was as responsible for continued sustainable success as Chris was. He was the linchpin to Miami's championship runs over the next four seasons. Of course, you had to have prolific games from LeBron and Dwayne. They had to take up the the bulk of the scoring. But I think that was just as important as Chris and doing what he had to do in order to adapt to change his game. And I think that really speaks volumes about the kind of player and person that he is. But again... The recollection in two thousand fourteen. I'm sorry, two thousand ten. I'll get into that a little bit because I, I just I do love talking about these sort of things. To be honest with you, like the, the the idea of of Chris Bosch joining the team and again not really knowing who he was. I think that kind of speaks a lot to playing in Toronto too, because as I talked about recently with Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors in an episode a couple weeks ago, you know Chris he was putting up a lot of numbers and yet the whole it felt like the NBA audience at large didn't really know him. They didn't really know what he was about. He was this strange big man. He's 6'11, 6'10, 6'11, somewhere around there, but he shot 15 foot jumpers. He had this back to the basket game, but he wasn't your typical center. You know, he wasn't exactly playing against Shaquille O'Neal in his prime, but he was, yeah, actually he was. When you think about the first few years of his career, there, there was the, the age of the big man was just starting to die out. And I think, you know, Shaquille was towards the tail end of his career here in Miami, and, and Chris was concurrently playing at the same time in Toronto. But it just didn't feel like he was the same type of player. Was he a power forward? Was he a center? You know, what was his game like? You know, he had this great face-up game where he could, you know, look at the basket and and take a a bigger plotting player off the the dribble with his quick first step. And that was unusual too. And so you, you always have a hard time, I think, understanding how these players come in and change the game. This isn't like... LeBron or Magic Johnson, right? Who changed the game? But part of what makes those two players so special, like an Oscar Robertson before them, is how they're getting everybody else involved, right? And and players love their shots, they love their opportunities. If you get a guy like LeBron or Magic Johnson at six foot nine, or even Oscar Robertson at six four, six five, and he's making plays for others, well, yeah, what's there to complain about? Instead, you have this guy like Chris, six eleven and he's putting up points but in this very unorthodox manner he's shooting jumpers he's you know got a nice baby hook he's got all these different approaches and repertoire and things in his bag and all this and it's just it's not typical it's not the drop step of Shaquille O'Neal it's not even a more plodding slowish game And, and he's not exactly getting everybody else involved either although of course he winds up evolving into a pretty solid passer over the course of his career. But. At that point in time in 2010, I wasn't quite sure what to make him. He wasn't even as explosive as Stattermeyer himself, you know. Stat and, and Phoenix was a phenomenal player. Incredible bounce. He had this great pick and roll game with Steve Nash. That wasn't the strength of Chris Bosch, he didn't really have that teammate. To help put up big numbers, he did have some fine teammates, but overall, his career in Toronto was mostly overlooked. And I think that was a big thing that kind of he dragged with him, unfortunately. That was the kind of baggage that he brought with him to Miami. And then, of course, he winds up joining the team. And again, like I said, it was kind of like an ancillary move, right? You get Dwayne back, you get LeBron back, and that's really how it gets overlooked. And of course, it didn't help that the national media perspective. A guy like Shaq, in, perspe- in particular, was calling him, you know, the big two and a half or something, or the big two, and, just in general. It's just that kind of conversation. Even today, a lot of people just don't respect Chris Bosch the player. It's just maddening to see because, of course, he was incredibly impactful. On a personal note, in 2014, his decision to re-sign with Miami was one of the most joyous moments of my career uh, at covering the league. this is probably my last great transition. I've had moments of course where I get emotionally attached to the team as much as I try to stay unbiased but the reality is that it's very very difficult. but in 2014 that was really probably the last drawing breath there because what you know it was in sharp contrast to LeBron's decision to go back to Cleveland and then maybe what happens with the team in this fun era this era of heat basketball that really made me fall in love with the game, once again, made me want to write and talk about basketball. I mean, I used to love doing it with friends and family before, but nothing quite like the Big Three era to inspire me to talk about basketball as much as I possibly could. And when LeBron left, I was deflated. I think I was deflated, and I, was, I didn't know what to think of this team because I never— in an instant thought he was going back to Cleveland. It felt like the wrong move then, still feels like the wrong move now, even if I understand it. And it's not to say that players shouldn't have agency over where they play or the decisions they can make. I absolutely believe that. But at the same time, it was just difficult to stomach back in 2014. And then Chris comes back and he chooses to. And again, I thought, you know, Chris was going to leave. He had that huge offer from the Houston Rockets. It's near his hometown. I thought all of a sudden, this is the end of an era for Miami. Maybe Dwayne leaves too. Who knows what happens next? But he chooses to resign. Pat Riley quickly rebounds. He offers Lou Alding and everybody else their contracts. And he brings back the team for another opportunity. And, and just a great, great moment. I was absolutely overjoyed there. And then the next couple of years, well, I mean, it's so hard to say exactly what to make of those because he was just never at full strength. The expectation was that he would be Miami's go-to scorer because there was the maintenance program for Dwayne in 2013-14. But Chris was entering his peak. And that peak... Got cut short, unfortunately, there. So I think it's kind of a a strange way of looking at Chris's career because he was never quite appreciated the way he should have been, but it's probably much more fitting. That seems like it's a theme for today's podcast is that everything kind of worked out the way it quote-unquote should have, even though there were big questions there. Like if he had stayed in Toronto, what would have happened? And I'll talk about that in the next segment. But first, I wanted to remind you, About a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings you live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more about Direct TV at directtv.com. That's (music) directtv.com. Chris Bosh's evolution in Miami to the way Dwayne and LeBron wind up forming a much more potent scoring partnership here. I I think that's kind of Chris's career in a nutshell, even if that gets widely overlooked. It's this kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't lens through which we view sports. Chris's sacrifice is so often ignored. In fact, it's kind of held against him because he's not viewed as one of the most potent players in his tenure. I remember the conversation I had recently on the pot of fame discussion about how Chris ranks against other senders and forwards at the time. And You know, it's hard to compare that individual career because well, Chris was just a better teammate. His evolution as a teammate was very different than when most of those other big names like Kevin Garnett or Dirk Nowitzki or Rashid Wallace, how they compare to Chris Bosh had, Chris stayed in Toronto. Who knows what could have happened with his individual career? Much more scoring, obviously. Better numbers. Far less success. I don't know that they would have turned it around and been able to lure other free agents there. I mean, who knows? The what-if game is an interesting one, as I've obviously been getting into over the last few weeks. But would they have been able to lure DeMar DeRozan there? Would they have been able to get Kyle Lowry? Would he have been... A mentor towards Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi? Who knows? It cuts both ways because Chris's willingness to adapt as a versatile defender to shift to the center position, to stretch the floor, was ultimately what unlocked the most potent version of the Big Three era. There have been moments before his transition, of course. The Miami Heat uh, were an incredible team put together with the brightest of lights, of course, drawing the enmity of the national NBA audience. Sports pundits all over were trashing the team, the party, the celebration. It was very much us versus them. But even locally, we got caught up in it. The Miami Herald caught in the fury of the Big Three formation I remember after every game they would tally each player's production, right? It was a, a big 3 column towards the left end of the the page there showing what LeBron, Dwayne, and Chris towards the bottom unfortunately had put up the night before. Each player's production, uh, you know, just highlighted there for everybody to remember because that's that was the focus. It was easy to boil down to just the big 3 and other players. It was catchy. It showed people what, you know, what they wanted to see as our guys were thriving in this new team that we quite couldn't understand and wrap our mind around. And it worked. They won. They a lot. But something else was necessary, and this team couldn't survive with just three of the best players on the planet taking turns, which it often felt like in those first few months of the big three, certainly in 2010, 2011. If anything, a recent discussion about how good LeBron was or wasn't In the 2011 NBA Finals, I think Bayer's repeating that, you know, he did struggle in that series, but Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade didn't. Uh, They thrived in it, and that was unfortunately a little bit of what kind of was defining that first season of the team. They were all trying to figure out how to play against each other because Chris was very much the quote-unquote alpha player in Toronto. He was used to having the ball in his hands. He had a higher usage there. He had it in Miami that first season, and then something was needed. Something needed to change. And Chris, of all those three players, understood that better than anybody. Like Dwayne made his change as well. He quote-unquote relinquished the ball somewhat to LeBron. LeBron understood that he could carry the team in his own unique way. We've seen that. Play out in Cleveland. We've seen that playing out in Los Angeles since then. LeBron is very much a force unto himself. Uh, But Bosch was willing to accept a quote unquote lesser role. And I hate saying this quote unquote stuff. I just want to put that out there. But there is no way for me to emphasize these things on an audio platform without using them. So I hope you'll forgive me for that. But I've never forgotten. Chris's openness and discussing how difficult it would be for Kevin Love to adjust playing alongside LeBron and Kyrie Irving when the Cavaliers formed their own big three in Cleveland. It was such an incredible moment, uh, you know, because most times you rarely hear about uh, any player advising or opining so clearly on how a player is going to adjust. Maybe that's changed somewhat over the last, what, seven years? But at the time, it really felt very unusual for another player like Chris Bosch to say, oh, yeah, I know exactly what he's going to go through. You've got to change. And it was right. You know, Kevin Love had to make an incredible adjustment. People will have the discussion down the road about Kevin Love's Hall of Fame career. And, of course, he's going through something somewhat similarly now where he's been injured and mostly ineffective over the last couple of seasons. I wonder how that's going to be held against him. But he was willing to make those changes. He put up a lot of big numbers on Minnesota teams that never made the playoffs. Instead, he comes to Cleveland. He winds up winning overall. He wins a title in 2016, goes to four straight finals as a contributor. He didn't have the same versatile game as Chris Bosh. I think better shooter, leaned into that earlier on in his career than Chris ever did. Uh, Maybe a better passer overall. Certainly the outlet passing, uh, I think even Kevin Love uh, would probably be ranked among the greatest in NBA history at throwing that pass. But, defensively, he just didn't have the same versatility. He wasn't the same player. You needed to build a better supporting cast because there were flaws with Cleveland's big threes that Miami's did not necessarily have. Maybe you could make a case that Kyrie was a better shooter than Dwayne, that Kevin Love was a better shooter than Chris Bosh, that even that version of LeBron was somewhat of a better perimeter shooter. But I think overall, Miami's big three was clearly much better. Uh, Maybe that's a, a conversation for a different episode. But the fact that Chris was willing to talk about Kevin Love's transition and everything else, that was incredibly telling that he felt comfortable doing so. You know, you hear about stories. You know, I don't know how apocryphal they are. I think they're pretty widespread. So it seems like that's probably fairly true that when it came to Tim Duncan, a play that I'm sure a lot of Heat fans don't even want to like hear about. But in game, he would say, no, no, don't do that you know, talking to an opponent, move your feet this way, you got to put your hands here, or you're never going to get the ball that way. You know, little things like that, kind of just so comfortable in his own ability to defend these players that he wasn't above giving them advice. And maybe that was just the way he is. There was a lot of similarities between Duncan and Chris Bosh, I think, off the court. Bosh, a lot more Outspoken, a lot more public about his interests and things that that uh, Tim Duncan was, at least from our Miami-based perspective. Maybe San Antonio fans would have a different view on that. But I, I think it's also pretty fitting that if you ask most people about what Chris Bosh was like, you know, it's hard to kind of pin down exactly what defined his greatness. It's the fact that he could do everything, the fact that he was willing to adapt and change. You even look about. You know, if you ask the question about what Chris Bosh's best moments are as an individual player, most people would probably hearken back to his tenure in Toronto. Most of his best scoring games, according to the uh, website, uh, Land of Stats, I think it's called, the best scoring games when he was, uh, you know, uh, uh, in the NBA, 10 of those of his 30 highest scoring games were with Miami, The other 20 in Toronto. Even the most memorable moment of his heat career is probably Ray Allen's game six shot in the 2013 finals. If Ray doesn't hit that shot, the big three gets blown up and who knows if Chris's career in Miami ends that day. Instead, he gets the rebound. He makes the right pass and eight years later, he enters the hall of fame as a two-time NBA champion. How fitting is that again? He just always seemed willing to do the right thing, the capable thing, make the right play even if it was a sacrifice for himself and his own individual statistics. It was a difficult decision for him to leave Tehran in 2010, but it was the right one, obviously, because to put up empty stats would have gotten him overlooked. He would have been more largely ignored by the national viewing audience. I think he would have just been a guy who puts up big numbers and who knows what the conversation was going to be like. Instead, we got to see him evolve so quickly. Clearly, here in Miami, just become a much more versatile player. Like the st- the possibilities were always there, and he talks about this a lot. He talks about openly challenging himself, trying to become a better player on the court, trying to do things a little differently, whether it's passing, whether it's defensively, you know, just moving his feet in a different way, stretching the floor. I mean, how smooth was that transition to the three point line? Uh, just unbelievable to think about. The fact that he went from being one of the the best mid-range shooters at the center position to just a guy who can spread the floor and shoot from three-point range almost as easily. It was incredible to watch, but that's part of who he was. It's part of who he was on the court, but also off the court. And I think that's something that merits some discussion, too. And I want to focus on Chris Bosh, the person, in the next segment. But first, a reminder that if you haven't tried Bilt Bar you're missing out. It's the best tasting protein bar I've ever had. That's all the way, the only way around it. When you're talking about versatility, you can talk about Bill Bar just as much as you can talk about Chris bosch So many different great flavors, but one thing ties them all together. They're all delicious. They're all covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew. And you know that you're getting all the nutrients that you might be looking for in a protein bar without sacrificing any of the taste or flavor that you might think. You normally get a protein bar it might be a little chalky a little difficult you know doesn't quite have the right texture you're looking for this feels like a candy bar you won't miss out on anything but if you order today you can get all the great flavors from coconut to double chocolate salted caramel cookies and cream one of my favorites get them all you can get a mixed box with all of your favorite flavors but only if you go to built.com and use the promo code while you're there, locked15, you get 15% off your first order if you use the promo code locked15 for 15% off, but only if you go to built.com. And with the money you save there, make sure you go to bet online because it's that time of year again and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, bet online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest as the world's largest 200,000. NFL Survivor Contest. It's open now only at BetOnline. Head on to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100% welcome bonus. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON. the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored picks, and Lee Sterling's a lock of the day. Follow the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.he wherever you get podcasts. Probably my favorite section, at least uh, of this particular episode, talking about Chris Bosh off the court. Aside from his incredible impact on it, Part of what made Chris so refreshing and enjoyable to watch, at least in my opinion, was his incredible humanity off the court. LeBron was otherworldly. Harkening back to that 2010 formation of the Big Three, it just it always seemed like he was beyond all of this, in part because he had been so mythologized from such an early age, from changing the game as a high schooler to the hype and the money before he ever played a game in the NBA. And his talents were like that, too. There were moments where LeBron was most likable in Miami and was when he was most like Chris. Open, vulnerable, human. If you ask me for my most memorable moments here, you can point to the 61-point game against the Bobcats, you know, his you know, comeback against the Boston Celtics, all the other dominant games that we saw from LeBron throughout his tenure in Miami. But what really sticks out to me in my memory is 2012, winning that first title. Like I I know a lot of you probably hate talking about The numbers show that whenever I mention anything about LeBron, you're not particularly receptive. That's a failing that I think a lot of you have to get past. In any case, in 2012, when he won that first title, that was real joy, appreciation. He had climbed over a difficult hump. Of course, he had gone through that first season with Miami as everybody's villain, And then he kind of started slowly regaining everybody's trust on a national level. But I think he was just so grateful to be a part of this experience, to be able to win a title here in Miami, to be with the teammates that he was. It kind of went south after that, I think, 2013. And in 2014, that was just a a debacle that you could see clearly that he was no longer happy here. He was ready to move on. But his humanity, that commercial, that great Nike commercial where he's biking through downtown Miami, through Little Havana, Little Haiti, all sorts of different areas throughout Miami-Dade County. That was the best of LeBron. That was him and part of us. That's why we connected with him, right? Maybe you don't want to think about it because it's easier just to hate on him and the fact that he, you know, lied to Pat Riley that he screwed over the franchise and everything else, but when he was human, when he was most like Chris, that was when he was at his best. Dwayne was like that too. He was cold, man. He was an assassin. He was much like Kobe Bryant or the Michael Jordan model of player. He was just so good that it never really mattered what he was like off the court. It was difficult for him in interviews. He wasn't polished, not like he was today. Like to think of Dwayne Wade game show host in 2021, if you had told that to Dwayne Wade coming out of Marquette University. And yeah, he was young, no doubt. I think even in 2006, 2010, even when he was at his peak as a player, Looking back at that interview, actually, on ESPN in 2010, where he and Chris decided to join Miami and they announced it publicly on ESPN. That was a really interesting and and sharp contrast to the polished speaker that we know today. It was a little bit more difficult for him in front of an audience like that. And Chris, you know, comparatively was actually pretty smooth. And I think he continued to get even better during his tenure in Miami. But when you think back about you know what Dwayne was like, he was just he was different. You know, it was all about the on court production. He was a sidekick to Shaq, and then he was running the team during his peak. But all the while, it never really seemed like we knew who he was. I've maintained that I never thought Dwayne was a particularly good leader earlier on in his career. Not in the best sense of the world, anyway. I think when you think of when you think of a good leader, at least in my opinion. Dwayne was always more of the lead by example type. And look, I'm so damn good. Why can't you be this good? And I don't think that necessarily works. I don't think it works with people in general. I don't think it works with kids when you're teaching them. And I don't think it works with young players even. I think you need to be mentored. You need to be guided. It's a difficult transition to become a good player in the NBA. Maybe Dwayne didn't have that. Although I would venture a guess that guys like Eddie Jones and Brian Grant and others probably helped that transition a lot more easily for him, but that's just a matter of you know my perspective. How he handled Michael Beasley during the two years that they were teammates together from 2008 and 2010 always stands out to me because if he had handled that differently, who knows what Michael Beasley would have been like? You know, maybe he just realized that B-Easy be was never going to be that kind of special player, and so Dwayne never bothered to waste his time trying to mentor him. Maybe. What we saw years later when he was reunited with the Miami Heat, you know, trying to mentor guys like Tyler Johnson and Justice Winslow, guys that never really have panned out and probably never would. And Dwayne still felt like it was his responsibility. Maybe this is the kind of maturity that comes with age. And I'm glad that Dwayne finally got it because I, I think I got to appreciate an older version of Dwayne off the court a lot more than I did the younger version on the court, off the court, excuse me. Um I don't know. It's a difficult conversation, I think. And maybe it's not an easy topic because he is so widely beloved. But mostly, when you think about why you love Dwayne, I think the vast majority of you would probably say it was because he was so good as a player. And that you can't take that away from him. The best player in Heat franchise history. But his off-the-court life was a different one you know, with his ex-wife and his children. It always seems stuck in the shadows, right? We're not owed any insight into that life, of course. But it's also the reality that we generally get to know the athletes we follow. We we find out a little bit about them. We try not to be too intrusive, most of us anyway, but they show us something and we form an opinion based on that. We want our athletes to be both human and not. Human off the court, you know, well-rounded, great people, uh, very amicable, things of that sort. We don't like it when they're like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Bill Russell or Alonzo Mourning, where they're brooding all the time. We don't like those kinds of personas. But on the court, hell, we just want them to be ruthless all the time, right? It's a very difficult line to walk. And I don't think a lot of players do it well. But none probably better than Chris Bosh. But back to Dwayne, you know, when his marriage ended badly and too publicly for my taste, it was like we never really knew her at all. And and you compare that with the version of Dwayne that we see now, relaxed, loving his family, at ease with who he is in the world. And that kind of reminds me so much of Chris Bosch. Chris was different. He was smart when he came to Miami. He was goofy, charming, and open about his interests off the court, open about his wife and family and kids. When he came to Miami, he tried his hand at Spanish. When he tried Cuban food and cafecito in segments on Sunshine Sports, it was like, hey, he's one of us. There was more too, like when he wrote a piece for Wire.com on the importance of coding, or when he started brewing, uh, brewing his own beer, learning how to play the guitar. Maybe there was all just a byproduct of him being wealthy and having the time to explore lots of interests. But it never felt that way. We came along for the ride. We got to appreciate that and him all the more. There is no way of looking at the way his career ended as a positive. None at all. Even today, five years later, over five years later, he still has some regrets. Even those have eased somewhat. Uh, If anything, it might have been the most obvious ending or fitting one, even if it wasn't such a storybook one. I remember talking to him in 2019, still a highlight of my career by the way, as he talked about how the end for him was a personal journey. Our conversation was the summer after Dwayne retired and it was such a sharp contrast between the way their two respective careers ended. Dwayne chose to come back in 2018-19. He set a timetable, was welcomed, and cheered everywhere he went on the road that year. Jersey exchanges, gifts, applause from fans, except in Dallas, and even an invitation to the All-Star game. In the meantime, CV played for two injury-shortened years during the peak of his abilities at a time when the game was evolving to the point where a player like him was meant to thrive. He'd still be thriving today. And he was waived by the Heat, a public humiliation for an athlete of his caliber, even if the move was a necessary one for his own health and safety, but just felt wrong, right? It was an inglorious end to a great player who had been such a special member of a special era in Heat franchise history. He told me about going through the whole range of emotions as his career came to an end and then the realization that he was never going to play again, the stages of grief, all the way from depression to acceptance. And having to just figure a way to get past it. For his children, his wife, they didn't sign up for this life, he said. So I have to do what I can to make it the best for them. What an incredible statement. Recognizing that he could have just wallowed his grief and misery and been absolutely entitled to do so. But instead, he wanted to do something better. He wanted to be there for his family, for his kids, because they needed more from him. And he was willing to do that. Isn't that so perfectly emblematic of who Chris Bosch the player was, but also Chris Bosch the person. There's no way around it. It's all over now. His career is in the rearview mirror. I wish he could have written his own ending like this. But this, this, he always wanted to challenge himself to try something new. And even in facing the end of one life, he learned how to make a new one for himself. And we should all be so lucky. I'm so glad that I'm here, direct from Springfield over the next few days. Hopefully, I'll be providing some more content, uh, more episodes, including Chris Bosh's Hall of Fame acceptance and his enshrinement over the next couple of days. But even if I don't, I'm just I'm glad I got a chance to be a part of this history, to be here, and to talk about one of the best players and persons in Miami Heat history. Just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at lockdownheat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag Heat Be sure to please subscribe to the show and leave a review if you haven't already. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting today's episode. And thanks to all of you for listening. I'm David Ormel, signing off for now.